I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Matthew Collar here inside TCO Performance Center. Want to bring you a few things from press conferences, and then I have a fun conversation with Kevin Seifert of ESPN. So let's just get into it right away with Adam Thielen. And one of the things that Adam Thielen was asked about today was vibes, which you know has been a big part of the conversation. And Kevin and I will get to that later with our thoughts. But uh, Adam Thielen was asked specifically about the fact that during practices, Kevin O'Connell rarely ever seems to get too worked up when the team makes a mistake. We don't look over and see Kevin O'Connell's eyeballs bulging out of his head or see him screaming at players. And Adam Thielen gave his thoughts about where that type of approach could have some value. No, I think that's I think that's what's really cool is is you're kind of almost like it's kind of almost awkward when things aren't going well and and you're like waiting for you know coach to blow up but the positivity and the energy um, that they bring even when things aren't going well is something that's really going to set us up to handle adversity um, the way that they can coach through those tough moments when we're when we you know put a couple of balls in the ground or things are a little lackadaisical um, there's a sense of urgency still so he's still on us um, but the way that they can coach through those is is something I think is going to really set us up to to handle that adversity through a season. Also from Adam Thielen's press conference, if you guys remember earlier this year, Justin Jefferson made it very clear what his goal is for this season, and that's to end the year being talked about as the best wide receiver in the entire NFL. So Adam Thielen tried to contextualize what Justin Jefferson meant by his comments about that and setting his goal to be the best in the NFL. And also he was asked as a follow-up just about Jefferson specifically and his attention to detail. You know, I think if you read the, if you look at the whole, uh, you know, picture of what he said, um, he said that that's his goal, that he knows that he's not there right this second, um, but that's his goal. Um, But that's that's exciting, right? That's what you want. You want a guy that um, believes in himself, that's confident. Um, We're confident in him. We know uh, what he's capable of. Um, And if he keeps putting the work in, that uh, he definitely has an opportunity to do that. So, um, you know, I, I think that just shows um, his maturity level, uh, that he's not saying, um, you know, that he's not proclaiming it right now, but he's saying that I'm working towards that. So I think that that shows a lot about his, um, his maturity level and, and where he's at in his career. What are some of the things that he does that allow him to play beyond his years for such a young guy? Yeah, I think it's his ability to pretty much do everything. Um, you know, not a lot of guys in this league can be a deep threat to be an underneath guy that can shake and move, um, to play outside, to play inside, um, and, and really do it at the highest level at all of those, those different criterias. Um, so that's what's impressive. I mean, that's what I noticed from day one when he, when he came in here. 
um, the ability to, to, to do everything. Um, and that's like a coach's dream. I mean, these, these coaches uh, that haven't seen him before in, in person, they come in and they're kind of like, wow, this is, this is awesome, uh, just because it's, it's literally a coach's dream. All right, we also spoke with Ed Donatel, the Vikings defensive coordinator, and a big part of that discussion was the 3-4 defense. And now we know that the 3-4 is just their base defense, but they're not going to use it as often as they will the nickel and the dime. But the defensive ends slash outside linebackers will still be doing a lot of different things. And Donatel talked about how that's different from the 4-3. Yeah, there's, there's, there's things. You know, these outside edge guys, you know, and Mike Smith does a great job coaching our edges, and it's a craft. It's a, it's a doggone craft. And it's easy to say set an edge, but there's so much information that goes into it, so much toughness, so much ruggedness, so much transition to rush, when to, when not to, all these things coming to you on the edge. So uh, that that that's a, a place. The other thing that makes that tough is a lot of the guys that play that position are four three ends in college. And so when they got to come up, there's a year usually for, you know, a, a transition involved in that. So that that's a tough one. The rest of the stuff is similar. Now, secondary isn't a lot different. Okay, it's really the edges and in the setup. Also, the 3-4 base defenses have become a little more in vogue with uh, the Vic Fangio system being copied throughout the league. And Donatel went into some depth about how his past in the 4-3 was helpful and why the 3-4 has become so popular throughout the league. It's always evolving. The 3-4 has. It's evolved since we've been together these last 11 years, uh, Vic and I. Uh, but it just really comes down to your your personnel. Now, this group won't look the same as any other group we've coached because every group's different. And and when you've coached enough different groups, you know how to adjust it as a coach. And it's a tremendous advantage to have been 4-3 because you know what things you want to draw from both systems. And I like all those teachers that I had in the early part of my 3-4 education and then being with Vic. 3-4 has become as I like, I like it. There's a reason for it. It's really the RPOs. Guys, when they're standing up, they can see more. All the jet and fly motion. So there's so many things happening to the edges of your defense that those guys have to have information. And when their hands in the dirt and they're down low, they don't see those things, and it makes it difficult to play. Okay, that's enough for the press conferences for today. Let's get into my conversation with Kevin Seifert of ESPN. Kevin, you have made... Plenty of appearances on the show. We've talked XFL. We've talked big picture NFL stuff, rules, referees. But you know what we haven't done? We haven't done a pod since you were back on the beat. So how are you doing? How are you enjoying camp? Are you grinding? I'm good. I'm rising and grinding every day, uh, (laughs) which I'm told is what we do Mm -hmm. in training camp. I was telling somebody the other day that the last time I was on the Vikings beat or any team beat uh, on a daily basis uh, Twitter didn't exist, <laughs> or at least if it existed, none of us had it. Right. Uh, 2007 was the last year. So uh, things have changed a bit in terms of how we deliver information to uh, the audience, uh, which we used to call the readers, and now it's the audience. Uh, but in the end, it's still football. It's still uh, uh, gauging how well we think they're going to be or, or play or not play, uh, and we go from there. And uh, the bones of it are still the same. And you know what I've really discovered, though? That even though it's not in a newspaper form and Mm -hmm. people don't have to wait until the next day to get it, that 
sending out training camp updates is, is sort of cute and sort of fun. And our friend Judd Zulged, I went back and looked at all of his old ones from when they first got Twitter. And he was a complete lunatic about it, as <laughs> yeah. you might expect. Yeah. Uh, but still, what I find is that readers want the information in stories and want to know what's going on. And they want to learn about their players. And so even though it's like eating a cookie... Uh, on Twitter, people still want the full meal. So I don't think that fundamentally a lot of this has changed, except for maybe you get the reaction a lot faster and directly at you, as opposed to maybe someone writes an angry uh, you know, yeah. email or something to the newspaper. Yeah, there, there used to be very little feedback at all. Uh, the most, the most uh, you know, even when I first started newspapers in the Stone Ages, uh, we didn't have newspaper emails, so people had to write letters and put them in the in the post box, uh, if people know what those are, and have the uh, have the uh, the postal service deliver it to us, and that's how we found out what they thought of what we wrote. And so now there's very instant uh, instant return on that. Um, I've been trying to figure out, and I don't know how you feel about it. Like like people obviously will look at your tweets uh, if you're telling them what's happening at this minute in training camp. I wonder like if that's like. If it's like just kind of like, you know, a side, you know, bit of gravy that, that people get, or is that actually where people are getting their information? And do we need to value that as like the, like, like that has to be our best stuff. I think we massively overrate social media okay. as like, I think it's still the reports that are coming out that have the full story that people are interested in. And maybe, yeah. maybe that's giving them too much credit, mm -hmm, <laughs> but mm -hmm. my experience in purple insider is people listen to the whole show. And when I pull the things from press conferences that I think are interesting, as opposed to just like a little tweet yeah. and we have more of a conversation about them, I think people like that more. And at least by the open rates of the newsletter, mm -hmm. like that's where they're getting a lot of their stuff is reading the whole thing as opposed to just the tweets. So I think that, you can leave an impression from Twitter. Like, for example, Garrett Bradbury loses a couple of reps and yeah. uh, all the questions the next day are like, hey, is this going to be a huge problem? Like, right. spoiler alert, yes. But uh, I think that there's little nuggets that people could take from that. But if you're trying to really paint the whole picture of a training camp, it has to be in a longer form. And football fans, I think, just have time for it. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the case. And I, you know, I, it, you mentioned like Garrett Bradbury. You also run the risk, I think, sometimes of saying like if you put out that he had a really bad five minute period, then that means he needs to be cut. You know, <laughs> and no, it's he had a really bad fi uh, five minute period, and guess Justin Jefferson's going to have a bad five minute period, and we need to. I think one thing we do lose in, on Twitter is the context of, of in the broader sense because we don't have enough room to, to include all of that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I tweet less and less and less because of that, Yeah. especially because one tweet – I mean, how about the other day? So I tweeted Kirk Cousins' quote about Zach Davidson almost yeah. running 21 yeah. miles per hour yeah. and got a bunch of responses that were like, let's see before we crown him. And it's like <laughs> – I didn't say yeah, anything here. Right. So the, yeah. the the sort of, uh, I don't know how this works in people's brains of like connecting one thing to the other to the other right. based on this very small piece of information. I, I, I think that it's like doing a disservice to tweet out too many things that could leave an impression. Like we now have to think about that stuff mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. opposed to when Twitter first came out, it was like, tweet as much as you can. Yeah. Fans will love it. And it's yeah. like, I think we have to be more like thoughtful and how, like what we tweet out in observing from training camp. And I've seen that happen. You see it happen in politics a lot where somebody will, uh, you know, a reporter will tweet out something that a politician said and it like 
it spreads like wildfire and maybe they didn't hear it right. Maybe like one word was, was off a little bit. Maybe they missed, they had a typo that, you know, we all have typos. And so uh, I thought about that too. It's like, I, you know, there's going to be something I'll probably get myself in trouble with and covering the Vikings this year. I don't want it to be something that I tweet. Well, I feel the same way. It's just like, it's not, it's not really worth it to me. Let, yeah. let it be the uh, story of the century on yeah. the Vikings. If, if they're going to be upset about right, it right. rather than a tweet. Uh, so let's talk about what we've seen. Here, here's how we can frame this, because I promised you we'd have some fun, and there's like. And I'm counting and... on. I'm gonna storm out yeah. if we don't. Okay. All right. Um. So we'll 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 really toe that line <laughs> to make sure it's fun for you. Yeah. Uh. Well, let's do it this way. Is this a thing? Let's do it that way. Okay. So I'm gonna throw some stuff at you that have been storylines. You tell me if it's a thing. Okay. Great place to start would be Garrett Bradbury. Yeah. Uh. Struggled the last few years. I don't think he's shown anything to make me think it would be different. Uh, and this coaching staff in front office decided to buy in, but then all of a sudden we see Chris Reed taking second team center snaps. Yeah. Is this a thing with Chris Reed and second team center snaps and with Bradbury struggling, or is it just going to be Bradbury's job? Like, what do you think of that situation? Uh, I don't think it's a thing right now. Uh, is that, I don't know if that uh, toes the line well enough or not, but I, I, if they're already in week two of training camp after deciding having the whole off season to decide whether they want to go with this guy as a starting center or not, I'd be shocked if they've already started, you know, having second thoughts. I don't think we're that it could be, that could be the case. And they haven't really set themselves up to have, I mean, Chris Reed, obviously, you know, some of the other guys they signed, uh, you know, can play center in a pinch and, and as part of their value as a, as a multi-positional backup type guy. Um, but you know, I, they haven't really set themselves up to have an obvious answer if he isn't going to be it, if they're not going to be able to play him. And so I, I feel like they've kind of, you know, they've tied themselves to him, at least for a while. There's always cuts around Labor Day, you know, the final cuts and guys come available. There's trades that happen all the way up to all the middle of the season and the trade deadline. And so it's not like they're completely 100 percent, you know, stuck if if he doesn't work out. But they haven't given themselves. It's not the type of situation where you often see where people are hedging. You know, there's no hedge here, at least on the roster right now. I think it might be a thing. Okay. If they go through these next few weeks, because we have what seven practices in eight days. Yeah. I feel like this is dog days. This is where we find out because we've only seen two padded practices. Mm -hmm. And if they go practice after practice after practice, and then look at the tape and go, uh, uh oh, yeah, this was maybe worse than we thought it was going to be. We thought we might be able to scheme around it. I think at very least you might see pressure put on Garrett Bradbury. And I'm only basing this on the fact that he was actually benched last mm -hmm. year. Yeah. If he had not been benched, I would say, no, well, they must see something a little more than the PFF grades or than we do, <laughs> but he was benched yeah. and like, that's not secret information. So they have a guy who suddenly goes from right guard competition to taking center snaps yeah. kind of projects as that can play any position yeah. type of guy. I think that, it's really going to be determined in these next seven days or seven hmm. practices. Will this be a thing or not? If Bradbury has taken all first team reps, we see no Chris Reed, yeah. then it's very unlikely it's going to be a thing. But I was going to ask you about what you think of like the JC Treader situation. Yeah. It's like been talked about a lot. Everyone asked me about it. Every mailbag yeah. and every, you know, podcast. 
why do you think he doesn't have a job? Like, is it the NFLPA thing or is it that maybe he's just worn out or it just seems odd that he did so well and played a thousand snaps last year and then the man just doesn't have a job? Yeah, and it could be that he's waiting for the right situation too. And so, you know, he maybe he, you know, he was pretty adamant uh, during all the pandemic stuff about the, the lack of value in training camp. So maybe he doesn't think that he needs to go to training camp. I don't know. Um, I think that the leverage point on a JHC Treader or any, or, Garrett Bradbury will be after those practices against the 49ers. Yeah, okay, because good th- point. those are going to be, you know, there's, they're going to be significant, probably more significant than preseason games in terms of evaluating frontline guys because they're going to actually participate in those as opposed to, um, you know, and, and a little bit that Kevin O'Connell has talked about. Like he's gearing up for those. Like he is putting a lot on that. Um, and I'm sure Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers are too. Um, and so that, I think, if, and that's a pretty good defensive line over there, as you know. Um, if if they get run over or he gets run over or it's like obvious to people like you and me that there's an issue, then that's where action could potentially happen. I, w- I don't know why they would uh, be worried before then. Like I would want I would want to see that, you know, first before I, I got, you know, to be making any changes. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The one-on-one reps were pretty noticeable. I mean, oh, you talk I, about I if it. we yeah. can notice for the sideline, yeah. if if someone's ending up on their back, you're like, okay, this maybe really tie shoes shouldn't be. Ha- yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah. I uh, having seen him play, I doubt that was the case. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, well, here's another one that comes up a lot, okay. and want your perspective on it is the backup quarterback situation. Yeah. We have a rule on the show that we don't talk about it. Now, I'll tell you what I think is going on, but it just doesn't matter because if Kirk gets hurt, there's no one you're bringing in here that's going to matter. No. But it, since it is a point of intrigue, yeah. I haven't seen anything to change my mind about either player, even in the slightest, about Kellen Mond or, or Sean Mannion, but you're getting fresh eyes on them, so yeah. tell me what you think. No, I, I would say, I mean, I, I thought there were some interesting things that Kellen Mond was doing early in terms of, like the things that they're looking for from him are decisive reads, decisive throws, um, you know, is he is he 
making the right throw for the defense or did he decide the night before when he saw what the yes. script was where he's going to throw the ball? And that, I think, is something that young quarterbacks who aren't quite along the lines uh, of being ready to play do. And so there were some intriguing things that he was doing in that regard. Like I think So this is Friday, the practice on Wednesday – uh, where he's dropping snaps like that was bad. Yep. You know, it was just you know maybe it was it was a you know combo platter of who was in, was responsible for that. But uh, you you know in a full pads practice uh, in training camp when you're competing like putting the ball on the ground before you even drop back in the pocket is bad. The reason that this is a little bit more than just your basic backup quarterback thing is the long term. I mean he was mm-hmm. a he was he was in a first round pick last year, but he was high enough that people were intrigued like. One day, Kirk Cousins is going to be gone. Is this yep. somebody who could potentially replace him? And I don't think that he was drafted in that with that in mind. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's anyone around the league who's thinking about that. But that's the one added thing is like, is that when you have a young quarterback who has a chance to make a jump, can he get himself to a spot where you start talking about him as a future starter? Well, you have to find out yeah. if you're the coaching staff. And that goes for a lot of things, right? It goes for even Garrett Bradbury, where – they did not want to be overconfident in the evaluation from before or why yeah. the previous coaching staff benched him. And they said it's a first round pick. Yeah. And I'm sure some people in the building were Bradbury defenders because mm-hmm. they drafted him with that high of a pick. Yeah. So if you're leaning on some scout evaluations, here's what he needs. All he needs to do is X, Y, and Z. Then if you're Kwesi Adafo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell, it's like, okay, well, I guess we have to give it a shot then, even if you know some things went wrong with it. I look at Mond as the same way. You, you would, it wouldn't make any sense to just say you're QB three no. or, and, and that's it, yeah. or just cut him. Like you have to see if there's something there because yeah. the, the guy does run a four or five, seven, and he's got a strong arm. We mm-hmm. saw him whip it down the field, like yeah. 50 yards. Yeah. It's just that when you watch these camp practices and you see cousins, most of the time, it's like read, read, throw mm-hmm. the football mm-hmm. guy catches it, read, read, you know, yeah. and sometimes it goes wrong with these guys. They've done, they like barely complete passes. Yeah, and I think that it's kind of hurting the evaluation for everybody else yeah. when you have backups that can't even complete passes. It's like this has always been Chase Daniels' value, right? Like yeah. he can certainly evaluate everybody on the second team or run a scout team. I'm not sure either of these guys can even do that. No, and that's a concern. And that's why, like, I, you know, we talk, you know, Manion Mon, Manion Mon, like, don't, you know, we shouldn't, we, and this, I'll put this on me also, like, we shouldn't just limit it to that. Like, mm-hmm. there's going to be guys out there, um, as cuts happen, uh, it wouldn't be the first time that a team started a season with a backup quarterback, including this team, yes. uh, that wasn't didn't go through training camp with mm-hmm. them. Um, I don't think they want to do that for obvious reasons. I, you know, they want one of these guys or both of them to to make them make a very difficult decision about who should be number two. Mm-hmm. But I also think that they have the the GM and the coach have the total freedom to basically dump them both if they yeah. need to because they didn't you know they did resign Mannion but to almost no you know money that that they wouldn't get back um they didn't draft Mond you know they they could you know have looked at it as a due diligence situation behind a durable starter uh we did it it didn't work out you know we'll bring in the next couple of guys and I'm sure they have a list of people they would consider in that in that regard as well but even last year Mannion gets cut by Seattle yeah. he ends up here yeah. as, as the backup quarterback yeah. uh before we move on to the next is it a thing uh give me the quarterback battle that you spent the most ink on that did not mean anything at all covering training camps or leading up to the season interesting um probably the sage rosenfels Tavares jackson battle and i say that not because it wasn't significant because far that would have been 2010 
Um, they ended up Jackson quote unquote won it. Uh, Sage Rosenfels was traded to the Giants, and that that was the year that Favre ends up getting hurt. Right, and they actually needed you know somebody to come in and play decently, and and Tavares got hurt, and they end up uh, just you know rumbling down a, a list of names that they wished they hadn't. Um, and uh, but that was the reason like. The reason that that was it didn't matter was because it was decided before the first day of training camp. Right, you know, Brad right. Childress had drafted Tavares Jackson, and he still had thought of him as a starter at that time. Um, Tavares was a great guy who it just you know you could tell it just wasn't going to probably work out. But he had not that Brad had not uh, given up on him yet and wanted him to be the backup to Favre. Preseasons, you know, at least Sage is is by far the better quarterback in camp. To the best that you could see, he was better. And so really what happened is that Sage had won the battle and had to be traded because that was the only way you could justify Tavares <laughs> as number two. And right. so and I wrote that then. Um and so that that is when you say that that's the one that comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And there's been many, but that one was one of the wildest ones I've seen. You were you in on uh you, you probably weren't in on like John David Booty talk or uh, I was uh, or you were you were I, John David Booty era? I was around. I don't okay. remember if that was when I was on the beat or if he was if that was when I was doing NFC North blog for ESPN, but I remember when they drafted him and he was uh he did not work out. <laughs> uh, no, not so much. Or McLeod Bethel Thompson who's still in the CFL. I, you know what? I actually did a McLeod Bethel Thompson story this As one does. year. As this one does. year because he went to the CFL and he's earned a starting job. He is not the best quarterback in the CFL, but he has finally translated the gun that he has in that arm into into a sustainable play. Um, and he talked about how like having the arm that he had maybe was the biggest detriment to his NFL career because, and I don't know if we want to go all the way down the, his life story, but I mean, but it was, it was, uh, it was wild, uh, to hear him talk about that. Like my arm was too strong. I, I, it was like, I didn't have it. I got, he said that Norv Turner cut him because he didn't have a change up. He only threw a fastball and like, that was the sort of the, you know, the terms that they used and so and like any but any joe blow like us could watch him say how is this guy not just killing mm -hmm. it and he finally has gotten into a spot where he's playing regularly in professional football so it's kind of cool i'm glad i asked i yeah. mean this this show is into journeyman quarterbacks I yes mean, sage comes on from time to time good to hear and yeah. uh we went to the to the combine last year uh, not not a bitter man about being traded because he got to go play with the giants yeah. and eli manning so yeah. there's that but uh, all right on to more this is this a thing vibes of camp being very uh positive we heard adam thielen adam yeah. thielen gave us a whole dissertation yeah. Yeah. about how the positive coaching yeah not referring to anybody in the past no, no. wink wink but uh the more positive coaching will help us when yeah. adversity comes i do have to say kevin <laughs> Adversity has not treated this team well in recent years. <laughs> no, they no. have not responded well to it. Yeah. They have faced a lot of it. And I think by the end, every time something went wrong, another blood vessel in Mike Zimmer's eyeball yeah. popped yeah. every time. And I do think that it's a thing, but you're going to have to tell me if you care about it or not. No, I do. And I think it is a thing. And even though like part of it is it's just natural NFL cycles that you hire, you have a coach whose blood vessel is going to pop every time. A mistake is made to a guy who's laid back Southern California, grew up in San Diego, mm -hmm. Kevin O'Connell, who doesn't seem ruffled by anything. Um, but I, I actually talked to Th uh, Thielen a couple of days ago for a story that's going to post over the weekend, and he was talking similarly about that. And he was like, the difference is 
and he said, this is not just the previous coaching staff. He said, it's every coach I've ever had high school, college, uh, you know, his first year on the practice squad, I think was Leslie Frazier and then Zimmer. And now, you know, every coach he's ever had, um, has been different than what Kevin O'Connell has been. And the difference is that he's just emphasized process over outcome throughout the spring, throughout uh, training camp. They have not lost sight of the fact that you're evaluated on whether you win and lose games, mm -hmm. but there's no games to win right now, no games to lose. So he said, and it almost gets awkward, and he used that phrase again today, because bad things happen, and you're like, is he ever going to rip us? And that's, <laughs> right, what, right. that's what Thielen says. Is he ever yeah. going to rip us? And, yeah. and no. And the, and the answer is not right now because we're, we're going to – that was – you made a mistake, but that was good because now I can point it out and say that's not what we want. We want this instead. Mm -hmm. So let's go do that, and let's treat everybody like adults and assume that they're going to learn from their mistakes. And so that's where they're at right now. So that is a different vibe. Um, I – like I have a feeling that O'Connell is a little bit of a blow a stack behind the scenes guy. Yep. Um, not necessarily in a, you know, really bad or angry way, but he's got a, I'm sure he, you know, and I've, you know, there's indications that that's the case. And he even admitted, he says sometimes when he's losing his mind, you know, Ed Donato in staff meetings kind of brings him down and, and back to earth. And so, uh, but in terms of like what happens on the practice field, what happens in, in player meetings, player interactions with the media, like extremely level, um, you know, ha you know, happy, but not, but a little boring and probably intentionally. And, and that's just his style. That's the style that he, you know, I think he's just being himself, but I do think it's different than what a lot of these guys have ever experienced. And if you're not blowing up sometimes in meetings, then I'd wonder if you're like on drugs, if you're a football coach, <laughs> right? Like you are a football man, right? So I, I don't doubt that. Yeah. And there are times where I've thought, especially when Kevin O'Connell was talking about how, quote, productive the backup quarterbacks have been. Yeah. I've been like, oh, okay, this isn't the Zimmer era anymore where we just take everything he says about no. players at its face. No. So it, that is different. But that also manipulated so many players. Mm -hmm. So from a reporter perspective, I'm like, yes, Mike, tell us about Anthony Barr. Sure. You know, like yeah. tell us about whoever else. Yeah. Because even whether it was good or bad, he was giving you what he really thought. Yeah. I think O'Connell is going to protect his players and not say anything that's super insightful unless it's positive. And mm -hmm. then he'll give you some example. But if it's negative, he's just not going to go there, which I think that in some ways that could be good. In other ways... You can read those quotes as players and be like, what is he talking about? Yeah. Why is he saying this? So it is a very delicate dance of being the player's coach and being the positive guy. Because when I was in Buffalo before I moved here, I, I was it was Rex Ryan. Sure. And Rex Ryan was like, oh, well, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to have the players yeah. back all the yeah, time no. and they could say whatever yeah. they want. Yeah. And he lost control. Yeah. So that's the thing that Kevin O'Connell yeah. has to balance because yeah. this has a lot of veterans that if you're not on your stuff, they'll take the team over for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I... If he ends up being someone who's only referring to them in positive ways or he decides to take the blame for something that's obviously not his fault, that'll just make him like many other coaches. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so – and then occasionally he'll you know, maybe have an unguarded moment when he's really mad after a game or something and, and he might say something. But that would make him – you know, we talked just a bit ago about how things – he's doing – approaching it in a much different way than a lot of these guys – are used to in terms of his public pronouncements about players, I would put him right, you know, down the middle of most NFL coaches. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Oh, I agree. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they've moved away from the Zimmer style. Yeah. I think that we had something that was a relic of the past. <laughs> yeah. and I mean, he will... was a Parcells guy, and Parcells did the same thing. Right. I mean, you just don't see it. We led the league for sure in, like, bleep this player quotes. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't yeah. even close. Yeah. Um, and probably also led the league in, like, ridiculous comments back to questions of ours that were very reasonable, too. Right, right. So I've noticed that O'Connell, especially even just coming out and saying, here's what's going on with Irv. That's how it's going to be like that is super useful, not just to us, but to fans to know what's yeah. just going on with a player where Zimmer in the past got to the point where he resented everybody so much. <laughs> us players, yeah. people in the front office. It yeah. was literally do you yeah. exist around here? He would just be like, I don't have to tell you anything in camp about injuries. So bleep you. And we're mm-hmm. like, Mike, you could tell us yeah. if someone's day to day. Right. You know, and so I think that that not only hurt him with his public perception, it hurt him with players though, because he just was so like angry at everyone mm-hmm. and resentful. He's taking shots at people in preseason. Well, I guess we don't have any depth because of our drafting. Yeah. It was like, yeah. okay, this needed a reset. And I feel yeah. like it's gotten the reset that it needed. Yeah. And like, and while and everything you said is a hundred percent true, I also think my own philosophy on NFL head coaching is that the shelf life is a lot shorter than what people realize. Oh, yeah. And if it gets past four years, it's either a super uh, unique situation mm-hmm. or the owner is just not on the ball um, uh, and, there, and and has decided just, you know, like has fallen for a coach that he shouldn't have. And so uh, when you get to year eight, like mm-hmm. that's like sometimes like you don't even you're not even thinking straight. You've been in the, in this microscope for so long. It changes you yeah. in, in psychological and sometimes permanent ways. And I think that's it took Zimmer. I'll take all of Zimmer's sort of cute eccentricities that we identified early and turn them into monsters basically. And so I, I've seen it happen with many other coaches mm-hmm. as well. And, you know, you always say, well, this guy is so calm. This, you know, that's not going to happen. Like it, 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 everybody gets affected by being in the microscope of a head coach. Uh, you know, if you're in the job for more than four years and most of them aren't, and there's a reason why. Well, also when they sign Zimmer to a short term contract extension, you're just asking for trouble yeah. because if you're saying we don't really believe in you that much, prove it. That's tension. That's yeah. pressure. And even with Spielman, like you're trading for Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah. You're trading yeah. for a kicker. You're, you're just doing like all these panicky yeah. things. You're drafting centers yeah. to start right away. Right. Like, why are you doing this? Oh, yeah, because you think you're going to get fired yeah. if you don't win. And right. it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because then you start doing desperate things and it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, okay, last one for is this a thing? Sure. Greg Joseph. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to. It's not going to be the last one. You look one. great, though. Oh. Um, but... Uh, no, any, anything Kirk-related is anything, and I mean anything Kirk-related, an actual thing. Um, 
Well, there's probably some things, you know, that are things about them. And, and the big one is, um, when you normally, when you see even veterans undergoing a coaching transition, there's some stress yeah. and there's some concern that no matter how much money they've made, no matter how long their contracts are for, all of a sudden they, there's nothing they did that matters. Nothing, you know, they're a rookie like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and probably to credit to O'Connell, but Cousins seems very much at peace and at ease and he knows who he is. He knows what he can do. Um, you know, we've, everybody externally has talked about all the things that they're hoping O'Connell can get out of him, mm-hmm. uh, that he hasn't produced before. But my sense of him right now is that, you know, and he can be kind of tightly wound is that he's not, you know, on a relative scale, according to him, he, or at least based on how he has been in other cases in other years, like he, he seems to, to have a very like at peace is the best, the best thing I can say. And maybe that's because they gave him a couple of extra years and he knows the worst thing that can happen is he's got 70 million coming his way. But like I said, like that doesn't, even as crazy as it sounds, that usually doesn't uh, assuage players, uh, veteran players in these situations. They get nervous, they get worried, they get insecure. And I'm not sensing any of that from him right now. I was really almost taken aback by his press conference the other day because he seemed so relaxed yeah. Relaxed to the point at the end of the press conference, he kind of admitted enjoying his time off last year when he yeah. hit the close yeah. contact. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. Kirk, too He's much. Making, making a COVID joke. Yeah. Too far, buddy. COVID Don't go funny. there. Yeah. Right. But he was very relaxed in talking about teammates, talking about the offense, yeah. how he's giving feedback to O'Connell. And I also think that Cousins, when... I don't know that he always like responds to someone like Mike Zimmer very well. Yeah. Like Mike Zimmer is so much in your face and so much out in the public. And somebody told me when they signed him that cousins was made very uncomfortable by how Zimmer had just crushed case Keenum for every mistake. And I thought this is, I I thought, first of all, Kirk, good luck keeping him from doing that to you because that will happen. And for the first year or two, he tried. And then it was just like, ah, bleep him. Right. (laughs) We haven't made the playoffs. Who cares? But uh, I think that having someone at head coach who no matter thick or thin with you is going to have your back in public and is not going to attack every mistake that you make as in it's like the apocalypse, Mm -hmm. which I think that with Zimmer, it was like, you got to lead better. You got to throw more downfield. You got to do this. You got to do that. And at one point he's mad at him for throwing picks. And then the next year he says, not taking it's okay if you throw picks and you need to, it's like, what do you want from the guy? Even I know this with the media where it'd be like, Kirk's saying too much to you guys. It's like, wait, are the same Kirk, the one that we cover, you know, I think he was just sort of always unhappy with something Kirk was doing. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything that becomes a thing, it's that this relationship between O'Connell and Cousins is much better a fit for his personality, yeah. which if it can bring his anxiousness down even a little bit when it comes to big games, maybe that shows up somewhere. Yeah, and we have to be careful, um, and I fall into this trap sometimes too, of not judging someone's to- totality based on their press conferences or for sure. how they interact with us for 10 minutes. But just watching him during practice, you know, he's thrown a few interceptions. I haven't seen any, like, st- like the signs of stress, like stomp feet or like, you know, his, I just, I don't, I just did a lasso thing with my yeah. arm. I don't yeah, know yeah, what yeah. that means, but that's what I did. Uh, or, or like, you know, head down or curse or like yelling or anything like it happens. You know, you throw intercepts, sometimes it happens. Um, and you're just like, so it's not just, you know, how he's speaking to us or how he's speaking about people. It's just really just the way he is carrying himself every time we see him anywhere we see him.
I, I think that does go into the category of a thing. And as long as they're as healthy as they are right now and they're taking this better approach sports science-wise, then maybe you know, the tension doesn't start to get to Cousins. I feel like when things change that he doesn't expect, whether it's you know circumstances, defenses, mm-hmm. uh, injuries, things like that, that's where it starts to get a little tense for him. But as of right now, this is the calmest we've seen him, I think, in any training camp since he's been here, which I think is definitely a thing. Um, I, final thoughts from you. Championship? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you, How about this? Do you want to tell another camp story, an old school camp story? Did you cover Brock Lesnar? Oh, yeah, I was there for Brock Lesnar. <laughs> um, Brock, Brock was great because um, he arrived at the at training camp with his uh girlfriend who happened to be a professional wrestler sable sable oh yeah yeah yeah. And wow she was promptly dismissed from the grounds because there was a no girlfriend no wife uh uh rule and so she had to get back in the porsche or whatever they drove down <laughs> in and go back home and she was all done up you know and like the same it was like they walked into the gauge hall the same way they would walk into the, the squared circle, <laughs> yes. I guess, you know, at, uh, at a wrestling match. And so that was, uh, that whole, his, that whole summer was just wild. He was really down to earth. You know, some of us had gotten to know him a little bit when he was a wrestler at the U before yeah. he became a, a pro wrestler. But, um, that was, we never really figured out why they did it. You know, mm-hmm. other than the fact that he was a great athlete, like he wasn't built to play defensive line. Like most of his body weight was upper body and yeah. he wanted to wrestle with people. And offensive linemen were happy to wrestle with him because guess what? You're not getting anywhere if right. you're just all tied up with the. So they, uh, so that, so he wasn't really, you know, that it was never really destined to work. It was fun to watch him cover a kickoff, uh, which he did. And I think those videos are still on YouTube if people want to check those out. But that was a, uh, that was, if you ever, you know, wanted to, want to, you know, figure out how you escape the daily routine of training camp, just, <laughs> just, just invite a pro wrestler to try out and, uh, and you'll find out. I saw, so my, my wife started watching a little wrestling during the pandemic. Yeah. It was like on on Friday nights and discovered it. And we watched a Netflix show about women wrestlers in the 80s, which yeah. is actually really good. It's called Glow. Yeah. Great show. Glorious Ladies of Wrestling. Yeah. 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 It's super good show. Yeah. And so we watched it. And I was like, no, all this stuff is really legit about yeah. like all the wrestling. And yeah. she's like, no way. Like, yeah. Okay. We've got to watch. And so we started <laughs> watching it. And then she wanted to go. Yeah. And so the event here. It was Roman Reigns, former yeah. Viking, yeah. against Brock Lesnar. Yeah. At the very end, they like slammed each other or something. Uh, so it's kind of funny, like here in Minnesota, two former Vikings, Vikings. out yeah. there in the in center stage wrestling each other. It's pretty yeah. crazy. So yeah. anyway, well, uh, glad to have you back on the beat. Thanks. I have to say. You're not the same as Courtney. You're a little different in your approach. Maybe a little more even keeled. Maybe a little less aggressive at times. Um, she was more of a leader in the room. I got so, you. So, you know, you're good coming back. You got to take that role. Like, the only uh, person I want to lead is me. Yeah. All I care well, about is yeah, me. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. You're I'm more, from the old school, like, you know, don't be friends with the other people in the in the media room. I know. So don't tell anybody that we're have, friends. Things have changed yeah. a little bit. No, I won't. I yeah. won't. I'll protect you. The sanctity of Thank that. you. Uh, okay. Well, but it is great to have you back Thanks. and, uh, we will, we'll do this again soon, man. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks, man.